You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, everybody? Happy Thursday and welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today... We got our draft coverage, lottery coverage, excuse me, done. Talked about the pre-lotto implications Monday, or Tuesday, the lotto itself yesterday. We'll do a mock draft and Pacers big board next Monday. But this week's all about the youth of the NBA and the draft lottery. So today we're looking back at the Pacers last season uh, and their only draft pick from last year, Cassius Stanley, in his rookie year. Uh, he was picked late in the second round, so perhaps a little discussion about late second rounders since the Pacers have two of those this coming season, uh, so springboard discussion there, and I like doing these player season recaps, we'll do O'Shea Brissett tomorrow, the Pacers' other young players, so yeah, it's going to be fun to talk about Cassius this season, and again, if you're look, ready for draft coverage next Monday, we'll have you covered with a good old Pacers mock draft, Pacers big board, all that good stuff, trades in the draft, all that discussion that people are looking for, I want to do that with Adam, uh, but, but let's talk Cassius, because I really like doing these player season recaps and looking back and timing it with what's going on in the actual NBA so that it can kind of shake up with with the discussions we've been having. So Cassius Stanley, rookie year, drafted 54th. The Pacers will have that exact pick uh, in this upcoming draft. They have 54 and 60 late in the second round. Um, anything after 45, you're just kind of praying that they have one thing about them that can keep you around in the NBA. And for Cassius... That was his athleticism, you know, and the hope was that one other thing could be there when he gets to the NBA that would make him an NBA quality player, right? He could either shoot a little better than he did at Duke or defend a little better than he did at Duke or pass a little better or have a nose for rebounding that hadn't been seen before, right? That's kind of the picks you make in the second round. And so the way we've been doing these player season recaps is it's one word to describe the player season, run through their stats, their skills, and what comes next for them. And I think my word for Cassius Stanley, after considering many, is underwhelming. And that seems mean. He's a rookie picked 54th. I should not have had any expectations. And frankly, I didn't have any expectations for Cassius Stanley's rookie season on a two-way contract for a reason. And yet I, I still settled on underwhelming because outside of the bounce, right? We saw him in the dunk contest. That was super fun. He got absolutely gypped, gypped on the national stage, right? His dunk was the best one in the first round. And he got eliminated. He didn't really do a lot in his rookie year that inspires a ton of confidence about his future, right? The athleticism was there, like with the dunk contest, of course, and there were moments in games. He had some nice dunks in the preseason and in the G League and even in garbage time of actual NBA games. But very little, to me at least, and I'm willing to talk about this with anyone who disagrees, very little happened in in his minutes that that like popped beyond athleticism right like there were not there wasn't good shooting there wasn't good foul drawing or getting to the rim or passing or, or a lot and I watched a lot of his G League games too right I, I feel like I got a pretty good feel for what he can and can't do at this point he did get hurt down in the bubble so not the perfect time to assess his season but I was pretty underwhelmed in general from him and he only played a hundred so the cutoff for how we have done player season recaps in the past is you have to play over 100 minutes to get your own show. If you play under 100, we, we lump every all those guys into one show. It's, it's impossible to say enough things about them on a whole show. Cash has played 93 minutes with the Pacers. So technically, he's below our threshold, but because he's a rookie, uh, and they're only a rookie at that, uh, played in a third of their actual games and played a ton in the G League, um, but mostly because he's only a rookie, we made the exception to give him 
his own review show. Anyway, he didn't play a ton, right? So it's a little hypercritical to talk about his season in a way that that's described as underwhelming. I think he was playing non-garbage time minutes for like three games at the end of the season, and that's it. Uh, four, really. So they, they, they blew out OKC in that 57-point drubbing, and he played a bunch in that game. And then he played against the Kings uh, on May 5th. And then three of their last four games, he got around five minutes of playing time. So those games, I remember I was talking about he should be playing in all those. And then Keelan Martin just exploded and took his minutes. This is unrelated to Cassius' season. So statistically, those games seem like a good focus for me, those last four games, really. And he had in about 25 minutes of playing time, six points, uh, four rebounds, zero assists, one steal, no blocks, uh, and shot two of 10 from the field and one of four from deep, right? So not statistically great moments. Granted, he didn't have the ball much. He was mostly resigned to just running around and getting out of the way and playing defense, and that's good. I actually have talked about this with Brian Bowen a lot in the past. Is something that impressed me about Brian Bowen. He got a start against the Bulls two years ago, his last day of his two-way contract, and he I don't even think he shot the ball in that game, right? He just existed to fill a hole from injuries and didn't try to force it and prove what he can be. Cassius deserves credit for that, but in the opportunities he did have to show off his skills, he you know wasn't able to do much in terms of getting to the rim or finishing, and I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself with the skills. But statistically, even over the course of the season, right, you look at those games, those pocket of games where he was playing meaningful minutes and the stats don't pop. Like Even during the regular season, the stats weren't really there. And looking at his per-game stats is silly. He only played four minutes a game, but some of the advanced numbers are not shining right. True shooting percentage, 38.3%. Wow, that is that is atrocious. Like that efficiency is completely untenable for an NBA player, right? His rebounding rate wasn't anything great. It's okay for a forward, you know. He he did okay there. Uh, shockingly low assist percentage, low steal percentage, decent block percentage, extremely low turnover rate. That is one thing he does pretty well. Is he takes care of the ball even when he does drive, but doesn't drive a ton. Free throw rate wasn't crazy, so. Just not a lot to like statistically this season from him. His three ball wasn't falling. Uh, in the NBA, he took 13 of them. He only made three. And then in the G League, where he got a lot more burn uh, and got to grow a lot, you know, I think Tom Hankins talked about, if you want to go back a few weeks on a Friday, we had Foreman Madden's head coach Tom Hankins on. He talked about, like, Cassius just realizing how good G League players were. In the G League, he was 16 of 60 from deep. That's 26.7%. And I don't buy Cassius' shooting Going forward, I'll talk about that next time. But the free throws were a big part of that. He shot 8 of 15 from the line in the G League and 7 of 9 from the line in the pros. So that's 15 of 24. That's I can't do the math quickly enough, but uh, not good. <laughs> not great from the free throw line. In the NBA, at the basket, he shot 44.4% from 0 to 3 feet. Uh, so just didn't finish from anywhere. Wasn't really able to create a ton of space, although a little bit. So basically outside of decent rebounding rates and low turnover rates like none of his stats were particularly awesome in the pros and in the g league it, it's not a crazy different story he shot 41.3 percent from the field uh, so he had above 50 percent of his two pointers And there were some nice there were i'll give him a lot of credit for the g league there were some nice moments where he actually beat guys off the dribble and like got to a mid-range spot but he wasn't getting to the rim as much as you'd like someone with his athleticism to be like the self-creation wasn't there and the passing and rebounding and stuff were just okay in the G League as well. 3.3 rebounds per game. He played 28 minutes for reference here. 1.7 assists, low steals, low blocks, and a little bit higher turnover rate uh, in the G League, although still not super high. So the encouraging thing to me actually in the G League is the 40% three 
three-point attempt rate, he was able to get him up. And that's important, even if he's missing a bunch of them, is that you know he's able to find ways to take them. But couldn't make them. Free throw rate, super low, right? So not able to, to get to spots where he's drawing fouls or anything like that. So, yeah, statistical profile and low, low rebounding percentage in the G League. Like, much, much more in line with what you'd expect from him given his college stats. But for a guy with his athleticism, you'd expect that to be higher. So, statistically... Not a good year for him. Uh, just in general, I, I I didn't think his season was that good. But his skills are a big factor there, and let's talk about that. And this is sort of a draft philosophy thing with his skills, and that's why this is important because it's draft week, or lotto week, really, which talks about the draft. So this is a good time to do that. But first, got to figure out the Michelob Ultra moment of the week in the NBA. And I don't think there's any discussion about what the moment of the week is in the NBA right now. Phoenix Suns down by one with less than one second on the clock. Threw the ball from out of bounds over their own basket, and DeAndre Ayton dunked it to give the Suns a one-point win in Game Two. That is obviously the Michelob Ultra moment of the week. It was a spectacular play, great pass from Jake Crowder, great dunk from DeAndre Ayton, and former Pacer James Jones, now the GM of the Phoenix Suns, has built a hell of a roster. Very cool to see James Jones thriving after an illustrious career of many titles and playing with LeBron James, and now leading a team he built to a title. So credit to James Jones. He's probably having a lot of joy right now. He's probably very happy and loving watching his team wins. And it's only worth it if you enjoy it. And with only 2.6 carbs, 95 calories, you will certainly enjoy Amico Ultra. Joy creates success and enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Try Amico Ultra today and talk about your Amico Ultra moment of the week on Twitter. All right. So skill-wise, and again, I have trouble separating this from stats because of the way my brain works. But the, sh- the shooting is where I want to start. Because I talk about this with draft philosophy a lot. And I'll use NBA stats here. So this isn't really like leaping off of his Duke stats necessarily. But some guys who shoot really well from three in college and have a bad free throw percentage. That's sometimes, not always, sometimes a sign they're not a good shooter. And the vice versa can be true as well. Like if they shoot just okay from three, but they shoot great from the free throw line, you can project them to be a better shooter. Cassius does not shoot well from three or from the free throw line. So... So let's go back to what I started with. I said underwhelming because when you pick a guy because he's super athletic, right? That athleticism is something like very few people have. His vertical leaps in the top like 1% of all dudes at the NBA draft combine all time. Cassius, that is. Right? That's extremely impressive. So you draft that guy and you say, wow, if we can get him to do one thing on the basketball court, like be a decent pick and roll creator, be a decent shooter, be able to draw a, a foul one in every seven possessions, or, or, oh, he can be a really good on-ball stopper. And we'll talk about defense here. I barely talked about defense last segment. Then you say, okay, this is a worthy pick, right? We swung on the thing that no one else has, and then we converted that player into a good player. So skills for Cassius were really key this year. And that's actually a good draft strategy to me in the late second round. Like at 54, and the Pacers will have two choices at that this year, assuming they keep all their picks. But Cassius, one of those skills is shooting that you would, would like to see from a guy like this. And that, that, that did not come around for him. Another one is foul drawing. Like I said, his free throw rate, really low. He settled for pull-ups a lot with the Mad Ants. A lot is extreme. Uh, he settled for pull-ups at times with the Mad Ants. And his mid-range shot was okay in Fort Wayne in the in the, in the the gubble, the G League bubble. So I don't want to flame him too much for that. But you'd like to see a little bit more there. The rebounding could have been one for me. And like when you are when you have the athleticism, you could just naturally get above those guys. Alize Johnson uh, chief among them and showing that that's the case. But you also, there's like an innate, I know where the ball is going to be. I know when to jump. I have a nose for the ball kind of stuff that 
uh, you know, tons of guys have. Cassius is an okay rebounder, I would say. I thought that was something that he could be good at, right? Get your team a few extra possessions from the wing. Pacers don't have good rebounding guards at all or wings. We saw how much that can have consequences this season. So Cassius was okay there, I think. Uh, he was pretty good as on the defensive glass, not so much on the offensive glass, but that's more principle of, of how the Madden's played than anything. You know, he was not close to the basket. No expectation. So I'd say he's an okay rebounder. Maybe that can be his thing as he gets really good at that and sort of plays an Alize role, but he's six foot five, six foot four, right? So he's not going to ever be really inside. You don't rebound is like the least important skill for a guy like this. And the athleticism's already there. So he's already got an advantage in that, in that skill. The passing never super materialized. 1.7 assists per game in the G League. I don't. I wonder how many total assists he had in the NBA. I don't have that number immediately in front of me. Uh, one. He had one assist in his NBA minutes this season. So the passing never really materialized. Defense on ball was okay. I would say um, certainly that athleticism allows him to stay in front of some guys, but got beat off the dribble a lot. Kind of smaller frame. So on ball D was just okay. I would say at best. His team D was not very good at all. Uh, so just a lot, like he, if he's not going to be the defender and he can't really draw fouls or make threes and he's just okay in the glass, like he's, he didn't get a skill that, that, that extra skill. That's why I think his season was underwhelming. He didn't get, get that extra skill that makes you go, Oh wow. When paired with the athleticism, this is going to make him great. Like Sumner year two with the, with the Maddens, it's like, Oh wow. This guy already, his speed with the ball, his control with the ball allows him to get to the rim and finish a lot right or draw a foul right or he's really good in transition cash doesn't have that thing that makes you go oh he needs minutes so he can refine this and be good at this or oh he needs minutes because in the rotation he could add this in a way that sumner kind of immediately could and sumner's defense was eons better than cash's rookie year to me but that's just the that's what you talk about right sumner was really athletic in college before his acl tear but that's the kind of thing you think about with a guy picked in the 50s like sumner and alizé is like what can they get in the NBA, what's the skill going to be? And sometimes instead of picking the trait like athleticism, you pick a guy like Alize who's already an elite rebounder, but necessarily doesn't necessarily have like the physical tools or other skills. And you hope you can develop that other stuff with Alize. That has certainly worked. He's going to have a multi-year NBA career. Cassius, we'll see. But yeah, the, the, the skills just aren't super there for me. I, I, I think the low turnover rate in the NBA is interesting, right? He could be a guy who can dribble a little bit without giving it up or keep your offense running, which has some value to stay on the floor. I think he can be a little bit better as like a mid-range guy, like a, a one dribble shooter. So that, that could be a role to set him up in, in his second year in the NBA. Uh, should he get another chance with the Pacers, just try to get him those kind of opportunities. He showed a lot of those with the Maddens, right? His elbow jumper is pretty good. Uh, and of course he's again, extremely athletic, right? There's gotta be some stuff you can let him do when you have that sort of advantage over other people, whether that's, you know, fight for rebounds every once in a while or come around screens, looking at the basket ready to, to dunk or something. But if you can't pass, if you get cut off on those plays, you're just screwed. So he still has a lot of skill development to go, but that said, his athleticism is so freak like that. You got to give him some time to try to develop that. Right. He didn't, you, the, the Pacers didn't invest in him because they didn't think they could get him better. So Interesting skill year for him. Not a ton shown, but just scratch the surface enough with that pull-up to me um, with some of the rebounding and a little bit of on-ball defensive stuff, just enough to say that maybe he's got a future in the league. And let's talk about his future, right? That he's a free agent this summer. Technically, I'll talk about that and, and if I think he'll be back or not. But first, I have to talk about two awesome groups of people. The first one, 
the awesome group folks over at Rock Auto. I'm terrible at describing companies with words like folks or group of people. But with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock the parts you need for your car. you got to deal with the stupid questioning in there. And then you just stay in there because the store doesn't actually have the parts there. They have to order it themselves. They have to go back. It's stupid. The big warehouses are stupid. RockAuto.com is not stupid. You can do it at home or in your pocket, on your phone, whatever. RockAuto.com will save you time and money. Why choose to spend more and wait for the same auto parts from a chain store when you could get them at RockAuto.com for cheaper? They're a family business serving do-it-yourselvers for over 20 years. Their prices are always reliably low for every customer. And they'll have everything you need for your car or truck. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. RockAuto.com. Go there right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at RockAuto.com. And, of course, we got to talk about BetOnline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, baseball, basketball, NHL coming up. On its finals, all in full swing over at Bet Online plus UFC and MMA action. I see these fights all the time between people I've never heard of that are apparently super famous. You can bet on all that over at Bet Online before the next pitch, before the next game tips off. Head over, see all the games you can get involved in. Sign up bonuses and contest info. For example, Suns Clippers game three Thursday night. Suns favored with Chris Paul returning by one point in LA. Clippers have come back from down two or twice. But the Suns have looked in control. Without CP3, that's a tough one. I'm not sure how I'd feel about that. And Friday's game, the Bucks favored by 7.5 after losing game one to the Hawks. So we'll have to see what happens there. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on the action over at betonline.ag. Sign up today on your computer or mobile device. Use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. When you sign up, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. What is next for Cassius Stanley? I don't know. I hate that when I don't have a good opinion on things. Like I feel like I need to have a, a, a well thought out reason why this guy could be back or could not be back or there's a cap reason or whatever. And oftentimes I can come up with one. With Cassius, I'm kind of just shrugging, right? So we've seen with past two-way players, Ben Moore uh, and Edmund Sumner, for just an example, uh, that sometimes if the Pacers like the guy, they'll bring them back. They will bring them back for another season on the team. Ben Moore came back for his second season with the Pacers before transferring eventually to the Austin Spurs, but he started that year with the Pacers. Sumner obviously came back for a second season on a two-way deal. That that happens, right? There's also guys like Davon Reed. Who remembers him? He was on a two-way. Uh, I think he's the third ever guy to get a two-way with the Pacers. Uh, he never came back after his two-way. Uh, I can't remember who it was two years ago, but it, it sometimes the guys don't come back from their two-ways, right? So it just depends how the team feels about the guy. And Davon Reed, the Pacers did not draft. Edmund Sumner, they did. Ben Moore, they did not. But they picked him up as an undrafted free agent. This is a lot of words to say. There's reasons to suspect they like Cassius Stanley more than just the average two-way contract player. So after a two-way deal ends, the Pacers could, if the Pacers really wanted Cassius back, if he was too good for a two-way next year, even if they think he's too good for a two-way, despite him not being too good for one last year, they can keep him very easily. They can make him a restricted free agent, right? They can give him a qualifying offer. It's a one-year deal. At the minimum, if he takes it, they have that power. They can always use that threat. Uh, threat is the wrong word, but over him and his agency, right? So if Cassius is saying he want he might want to consider playing for another team, but the Pacers want to keep him, they can say, well, we'll just give you the qualifying offer, and then you're playing here. So the Cassius has little power to be on a different team next year if the Pacers want him back. That So I say that to say, 
If the Pacers want him back, I think Cassius will be back, but likely on another two-way, like they did with Sumner, where he was on a two-year two-way. That's not the case here. Brian Bowen, I, last year, was on a two-way his rookie year and then came into his second year and signed another two-way with the Pacers, right? They liked him after his rookie year, despite him not showing much either. He definitely improved, but they needed to waive him to field a team with centers uh, midseason, unfortunately, so he didn't last two seasons, but... You know, if they like, we have evidence that if the Pacers like guys on a two-way, they will keep them into a second year on that two-way deal or on a, a deal of some kind. So that said, if the Pacers like Cassius, I have reasons to think he'll be back, right? Past evidence says that. They drafted him. They said they rated him really high in the draft. They'll say that about everybody. I get that. But, you know, it's another point of evidence for me slightly. They picked him. Even, even if they don't believe he was a first runner, they picked him, right? They thought he was the best player available at their slot. There's something they like about him. So maybe he'll be back because of that. On the other hand, he didn't show a whole lot. He was pretty underwhelming. His stats weren't very good his rookie year, right? And there was that little thing in the Brogdon video. Remember, they put popcorn in his car, and Brogdon talked about him not coming in on on whatever, the off days and stuff, or like other guys come in or whatever, and like it's a very minor thing. It, you know, I'm not saying it's a knock on him. He doesn't have to come in that day. It's optional for a reason. I don't even know if every player goes in that day. But as a rookie, you like to see players who go in those days and really try to grow and learn. There's a reason Brogdon probably said it in the video. I'm not saying it's a thing. I'm not saying it's something the team was concerned about. It's just another thing of evidence that, like, maybe he isn't a great fit with the Pacers. Maybe he's just not an NBA-level player. So I've just been rambling, basically, about reasons the Pacers might or might not like him. All this to say, I have no idea if he'll be back next year, right? The reporting, and this is true, actually, Amita Brima's two-way contract is two years long right? So he could be back next year. There could only be one open two-way slot, and the Pacers have two picks in the second round. If you imagine one of them gets a two-way slot, it's pretty hard for Cassius to compete for that roster spot. I mean, they could always trade one of the picks or wave Brima very easily. Waving guys on two-way contracts costs nothing. It's just that there becomes a roster spot crunch at some point. So projecting Cassius Stanley's future is a little tough because there's a lot of reasons between a roster spot crunch and him not showing a lot uh, that he might not come back to the Pacers next year, but there's also evidence between the fact that they picked him. Uh, they've spoken highly of him. His teammates have Nate Bjorkren did, Tom Hankins did, uh, to some extent that he could be back next year. So I don't really know where I fall there. He said he expects to play in summer league in his ex interview, and I've kind of this is this is mostly conjecture, but just reading between the lines, like you wouldn't know you're playing in summer league if the if your team didn't give you an indication that either they wanted you to play for them in summer league or they were going to bring you back and then have you play in summer league, right? You can't just guess like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play in summer league. Like if you don't know what team you're going to be on, it's hard to say that. And he said it with a lot of confidence and gusto. So that it, it, just that alone is the small reason I'd say 51% chance Cassius Stanley is back next year because I think he thinks – or the, I think that summer league comment makes me think that he thinks he'll be on the – at least on the Pacers summer league team. And that could be wrong, but – uh, that, that's why I, I go just over 50%. He'll be back on the team next year, but, but most likely almost certainly on a two-way deal. He did not do anything to me to earn more than that. And that's the perfect role for him because, you know, with the Pacers, when there's tons of injuries, sure, he could sneak five minutes in at the end of the season, but he, he was not ever in, even in their garbage time. Sometimes they had other guys in the game instead of him. Right. So He'll get his minutes in the G League. That makes more sense. But if they keep him on the two-way, it's easier to keep him in-house. They can have him with the NBA team for training camp, even during some games, during some portions of the season with the player development staff and stuff like that. So I think that makes a lot of sense. 
again, given that they liked him in the draft last year, that they would bring him back and have Manatue, but I get that he didn't show enough to necessarily earn that per se. So his future is a little strange, but just given his exit interview quotes, I would say there's a 51% chance Cassius Stanley returns to the Pacers next year. That's really like nitty gritty, grainy, whatever. But that that is my prediction. And I will have a big column on him coming out in July. I asked basically every player on the roster about Cassius and the coach, and I asked Cassius a bunch of questions and obviously Tom Hankins. So lots of stuff about him that I want to put in a piece. I think he wants to prove quite a lot in his NBA career. just hasn't really been given a chance. But we'll see what his future holds. I'll be very curious to see. If you want to talk about Cassius or yell at me for my analysis of him on Twitter, at LockedOnPacers for the podcast, at TEastNBA. For my personal account tomorrow, it's me again doing a player season recap for O'Shea Brissett, the second youngest pacer. Maybe that's not accurate. One of the younger pacers, the youngest one certainly in the rotation with a big offseason and a big season coming up. So stay tuned for that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble about Cassius Stanley, and we will see you tomorrow.